0: Christ's command to make disciples of all nations extends to every church and every individual follower of Christ. No disciple was meant to be a spectator, disciples make disciples, and that starts with sharing the Word of God. In this message from the book of Acts, David Platt exhorts every member of the church to make the gospel known. For the glory of Christ and by the power of His Spirit, we proclaim the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection to the glory of God. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, Making: Share the Word.
1: If you have the Word of this God, and I hope you do, let me invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to get to Acts in just a minute, but I want us to start tonight in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And while, while you're turning there, I just want to say how, how thankful I am to God, how grateful I am to God for you. My heart was full in northern India, and in a sense, it's even more full now, back together with you, just overflowing, just proud in Christ of the effect of your faith on the spread of the gospel in northern India. We've, we've gone through a variety of changes around here over the last four or five years and you have made a, a variety of different sacrifices. And for this reason, I, I wish you, I wish each of you could have seen the faces of, of people who who a year ago had never heard of Jesus hadn't even heard of him and, and now have trusted in Jesus for salvation I wish I wish each of you could have walked into rural villages and urban slums that a year ago had, had no churches and now they're multiple churches meeting in different homes in these villages, slums. I wish, I wish you could hear a pastor talk, see him with tears in his eyes talking about how his village that he's pastored in for 20 years, they have water, clean water for the first time ever. I wish you could have seen women holding their children healthy children in areas where children have been dying. I don't know if you were able to follow on the, on the blog. Um, if you weren't, I think it's still up. I think you can still link there from our homepage just to, to see. I would encourage you maybe to spend some time whether tonight or tomorrow, just a few minutes. Just kind of browse through there. I want you to see pictures, video, descriptions of the fruit of your faith on the spread of the gospel in northern India. Over a thousand women and children who were living and thriving in areas where children were dying. A hundred different villages that now have water, clean water for the first time. That's over 30,000 people who have clean water whose, whose children aren't dying of things like diarrhea. To see... Two million people who have access to the New Testament in audio form for the first time. Seven million people who have access to Bible stories in their language for the first time. Literally hundreds of villages in India that have been engaged with the gospel for the very first time. And thousands of our Indian brothers and sisters that have been trained to make disciples and multiply churches. Praise God for His grace in in you. Thank you for your generosity and your patience and your perseverance and and just for the privilege of of being your pastor so as your pastor i want to i want to let you in tonight on why we've been studying the book of acts over the last last three months it's not just random didn't come to the end of last year thinking ah what are we going to do let's just kind of all right acts we'll go with acts like so so there's a reason The reason why the last three weeks we've been studying Acts and the reason why we've been studying the way we've been studying it. Here's here's the reason. God is glorious. And he does deserve the praise of every people group on the planet. People are sinful all people everywhere. People in the United States, America, people in India, and everywhere in between. They're all sinful. It Looks different in different places. And in India, it's gods of gold and silver and stone. Here, it's gods of money and pleasure and pride. It's false gods everywhere. We've given our affections to, our devotion to ourselves, And the payment for sin is eternal death. Payment for sin before an infinitely holy God is infinitely eternal punishment in hell. But God, in His mercy, has made a way of salvation. He has sent His Son to pay the price for our sin, to stand in our place so that anyone, Anywhere who trusts in Christ can be reconciled to God forever and ever. Delivered from the horrors of hell to the hope of heaven. Based solely on what he has done by his mercy. That's good news. That's why it's called gospel. Because it's good news. For everyone, everywhere. So here's the deal. We who know this gospel, we have billions and trillions of years ahead of us to enjoy this great God. Because of his salvation, we know. Billions and trillions of years, huh, just getting started enjoying this great God. Forever we will. So we're here for just a little bit. Just a tiny bit. Just a mere 70, 80 years. So it's not that long. Just, just a little bit compared to billions and trillions of years small bit we're here and while we're here for a little while we've got a we've got a charge from god and the charge is tell everyone everywhere about this salvation that's why that's why we're still here why aren't they just taking us to be with them why still in a in a land in a world of suffering and tsunamis and earthquakes and sin why are we still here we're still here because we got we got a job that he has entrusted to us to make this gospel known in the whole world and that means this job is for all of us not just some of us if this gospel is going to be known in the whole world then that's going to take all of us and so this is this is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I want to show this to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. From the very beginning of Jesus calling people to follow him, I want you to see the emphasis on this charge, this task, this job to do. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is the very beginning. Gospel of Matthew, his initial call, Jesus' initial call to his disciples, to his followers. Listen to this. Matthew four eighteen says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, this was his initial call, follow it, verse 19, if it's not underlined in your Bible, maybe underline it. Jesus says initially to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So get this, when you follow him, you become a fisher of men. It's that simple. When you follow Christ, you become a fisher for Christ. Now this is obviously a, a word picture for these fishermen and you just saying to them you got you got a new vocation when you follow me instead of trying to draw fish into a net you're going to draw people into a kingdom men and women into a kingdom and all who follow me i will make you i will make you a fisher of men you're going to focus your life on bringing men and women into a kingdom. That's going to be the priority of your life. It's what you're going to live to do. So that was, his, that was his initial call. Now I'll go to the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, and look at verse 19. I want you to see bookends here, very beginning. Jesus says, you follow me, you fish for men. Every follower is a fisher. When you get to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and these are his last words to his disciples. So those were his initial words, now his final words. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus gathers the same disciples who have responded to his initial call, gathers them around himself, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Same thing. Same thing, go fish for men, go make disciples among men and women in all nations. Bring men and women into the kingdom, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey me. This is what you are to be about. He says to every follower of his, go and make disciples. So, so we see this from the very beginning to the very end. Jesus, focus for his disciples. I'm fishing for men, making disciples among men and women. So this is our core conviction, one of the driving convictions that we have as a faith family called the Church of Brook Hills. This is a core conviction for us. Every follower of Christ is is a fisher of men and women. Every disciple is a disciple maker. We believe we believe the fundamental purpose of every single one of our lives in this church, every single follower of Christ in this church, we believe the fundamental purpose of our lives, without exception, is to make disciples. We have been called to Christ to make disciples of Christ. Not some of us, all of us. Every single follower, a fisher. Every single disciple, a disciple maker. We believe that the Great Commission, which is what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 here is called, the Great Commission is not a call for a few of us but a command for all of us. No Christian in this room has been called to make disciples of all nations, right? No Christian been called to make disciples of all nations. Every Christian commanded to make disciples of all nations. Great Commission, not an option for us to consider, to weigh among other options. Great Commission is a command for us to obey, which changes everything about how we do church. It changes everything about how we act as church. It changes everything about, even about how we understand what is going on in this room at this moment. We are not an audience of spectators. We are a fellowship of disciple makers. That's who we are. We never, never, ever come into this room thinking, hmm, I I hope that they have planned a good service for us tonight. We are not American Idol. We are, we are never here to, to judge the sermon, okay? goal is not for you to walk away. Ah, I'd give it a six. We've talked about disciple begging before. It's just the same thing. No, you don't, you don't walk away saying, ah, oh, music, ah, eight. I enjoyed most of the songs. One song I didn't like, down from a 10 to an eight. It's not, it's not what we do. Now, this is, what, this is what our consumeristic culture would have us think we were here to do this is what creeps into every single church in our culture it's what people are tempted you will be tempted to walk away thinking tonight oh how did i I like this how did i like that how did that suit me this is the whole point this is the whole point bill hole a pastor who's written much on disciple making said american churches are filled with pew filling sermon tasting spiritual schizophrenics whose belief and behavior are not congruent. And that's it. That's what we've been wrestling with over the last few years, right? That's, that's what I've been wrestling with as a pastor over the last couple of years. What we've been wrestling with as a faith family over the last couple of years. Like, do we really believe what we're, what we're reading every week? Do we really believe what we're saying? Do we really believe what we're singing? If this God is who he says he is, And if this salvation is as great as we say it is, and there are masses of people, billions of people, who have never heard it or haven't received it, who are headed to an eternal hell. If we really believe this, then our behavior will look very different in this world. And we don't have time to play games with our lives. Not if this book is true. We don't have time to entertain ourselves, organize stuff that revolves around us that makes us comfortable. No, it makes no sense if we believe this. It just doesn't add up. It's incongruent. No, if, if this is true, then we're not spectators here. We're disciple makers, all of us. All of us with this job to do. Not just some of us. It's driving all of this. Robert Coleman wrote a classic on disciple-making, probably one of the books that has most influenced my life outside of the Bible, top three for sure, called The Master Plan of Evangelism. I would highly recommend it. Wrote it 30-plus years ago, but incredible book. Master Plan of Evangelism. Coleman wrote this. Discipling men and women is the priority around which our lives should be oriented. The Great Commission is not a special calling or a gift of the Spirit. It is a command an obligation incumbent upon the whole community of faith. There are no exceptions. Bank presidents and automobile mechanics, physicians and school teachers, theologians and homemakers, everyone who believes on Christ has a part in his work. The Great Commission is a lifestyle encompassing the total resources of every child of God. Here, the ministry of Christ comes alive in the day-by-day activity of discipling. Whether we have a secular job or an ecclesiastical position, meaning a church position. A Christ-like commitment to bring the nations into the eternal kingdom should be a part of it. If making disciples of all nations is not the heartbeat of our life, something is wrong, either with our understanding of Christ's church or our willingness to walk in His way. Disciple-making, the heartbeat of every one of our lives, that's, that's core conviction spread throughout this room, that every disciple of Christ in this room is a disciple maker. Now, that conviction begs the question, if this is the heartbeat of our lives, making disciples, the priority around which our lives should be oriented, then how do you do it? How do you make disciples? Because if if this is the priority around which our lives revolve, we we need to know how to, how to carry it out. And this is where about four years ago in the first year after I had gotten here we came to a point where I realized we're, we're talking about disciple making all the time but, but if you were to survey or poll the people sitting in, in seats on a Sunday whether here or in another church and you were to ask the question what does it mean how do you make disciples of all nations? How do you do that? What does that look like practically? I realized that you'd probably get all kinds of different answers. Probably a lot of ambiguity. Likely many blank stares. If we, if we were to poll tonight, okay, how do you make disciples? How do you make disciples? How do you make disciples? It'd be all over the map probably. And that, that's not good. If, we, if we're going to be good at anything, as followers of Christ, we need to be good at this thing. This command that he has left us here to carry out. We need to know how to, how to do that. And so four years ago, we, we set aside just a simple six weeks. We went through a series called Follow Me, where we spent time in Matthew 4 and Matthew 28 and John 17 in the middle. And we looked at what did Jesus do with his disciples that would help inform us when it comes to this command to make disciples. And we just walked through what does disciple making look like. It was key, foundational really. And so as we were coming to the end of last year, and I was spending concentrated time in prayer, praying through what, what the Lord desired for us to, to walk through in His Word this year. There were a lot of things that hopefully, Lord willing, we will, we will dive into as this year goes on. But this was, was first and foremost. As I mentioned, we've gone through a lot, of, a lot of changes over the last four or five years. There's a lot of people who are here now that were not here when we walked through that series back in 2007, I guess it was. And even those who were here, the reality is, if this is the priority around which our lives revolve, the heartbeat of our lives, we continually need to go back to what it means to make disciples. And so, realize we, we need to dive into. We're talking about disciple making a lot around here. I want to make sure we know what we mean by that. What does Scripture mean by that? Now, instead of going back and just doing that exact same study we did in 2007, what? What it decided to do is that we would dive into the book of Acts. So Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. What happened after that? And the book of Acts is the answer to that question. The book of Acts is the picture of how disciple-making played out in the early church. What we have read over the last three months and studied is a picture of disciple-making in action. It's a picture of the gospel. Get this. Starting with a group of 120 people. Just picture it. That's 3% the size of this church. 120 people. Small group of people. And by the end of Acts chapter 28, the gospel has multiplied and the church is, some estimate, 400 times the size of when it started. That's good. If you experience 400-fold growth, it's been a good day. The church multiplying the gospel going to the uttermost parts of the earth. How? How does that happen? How does the gospel go forward like that? We want to be a part of the gospel going forward like that, right? We want the kingdom to 400-fold growth. That'd be good. That'd be a good starting place. We want to see that. How does that happen? And some would say, well, it's it's leaders. It's people like Peter and Paul. And no question, the book of Acts focuses on on key leaders like Peter and Paul. But what I want you to see is that this spread of the gospel and this multiplication and growth of the church was not ultimately about a couple of leaders, but it was about an entire people realizing that all of them were disciple makers. All the people of God, not just some. all of them. That's how the church multiplied. Let me show it to you. Go, go to Acts, and then go to Acts chapter 4. Let me take you on just a, a quick tour, a real quick tour. And I want, I want you to see, I want to show you that this book that we've been reading over the last three months is not just about a few people making disciples, but all the people making disciples, all of them. I want you to look at, we'll start in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I just want to show you this verse. Now, this is actually about two of the apostles, Peter and John. But I want to show you that this, this book that we've been reading is not about superheroes taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Super Christians that are kind of out of our league. Look at this. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now when they saw that Peter and John had been preaching the gospel and the crowd saw them, when the crowd saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus literal translation here when it says they were uneducated common men that literally says in the original language of the new testament that says they were they realized they were illiterate ignoramuses that's great i just love that luke wrote that about peter and john this is how they were you guys were perceived as illiterate ignoramuses so so be encouraged we're at least that much right in this room i think i think we're, we're at least there I can, I can encourage you and say, you're at least an illiterate ignoramus. And so, so, so we're, we're not starting behind these guys. If anything, we're ahead of these guys, because we just read this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, we're ahead. We're ahead of the game. So, these aren't superheroes out of our league. Like, we're ahead of them. We're out of their league. Okay? And then, you say, well, that's still just apostles, Peter and John. Go with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Some of this is review, but it's... it's It's good review and key review. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Remember, this is right after Stephen was stoned and Saul was standing there approving of his execution. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, and then listen to this, follow this. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And follow this. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Then it says, Devout men buried Stephen, Saul ravaging the church. And verse 4 says, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Did you catch that? Were the apostles the ones who were advancing the gospel into Judea and Samaria? No. They were staying in Jerusalem. The people were going to Judea and Samaria with the gospel were everyone but the apostles. Just normal people. Not apostles. Followers of Christ. And all of them preaching the word. Scattered preaching the word. The word that literally says they were evangelizing. They were telling people the good news. And look at what they did. Keep going to Acts chapter 11 verse 19. These people. It's unnamed people that were scattered. Not apostles. Just normal followers of Christ. Listen to Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, this verse 20, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord gospel is advancing people are coming to christ not because of the apostles but because the people are scattering and they're preaching all of them they're all preaching this is the founding of the church at antioch who founded the church at antioch peter paul james no just people just followers of christ all preaching the word sharing the gospel wherever they went and the church at Antioch was founded, the mission base for ministry to the nations, founded by a bunch of unnamed Christians. Just average, ordinary Christians. You get to you get to I'll show you one more place. Acts chapter nineteen. You remember this? Acts chapter nineteen, verse ten, when Paul was in Ephesus. And Paul stayed in Ephesus for a couple of years preaching. He's staying in Ephesus. He's not traveling around. He's staying in Ephesus in the hall of Tyrannus. He's preaching. But listen to verse 10. It says, this continued for two years. Paul preaching, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Did Paul go into all of Asia? No. Paul stayed in Ephesus the whole time preaching the word there. And what happened is people heard the word and then they went out into all of Asia. The reason everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord was not because of Paul, because of the people. They were all going out. That's how everybody in Asia, what a statement! Everybody in Asia heard the word of the Lord, heard the gospel, because the people were going everywhere in Asia. This is not just the book of Acts. You look in Christian history. You see times when the gospel has advanced. The mission of the church has spread like a wildfire. You, you look at, I was reading this last week when I was in India. I was reading again about the, the Moravians, 18th century Moravians, small band of believers. Their whole motto, every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is a missionary. It's what they believed the core of who they were, they believed. That was, that was their core conviction. And that didn't mean that every every believer traveled to other lands taking the gospel. What it meant was, and how they lived, was, they said, wherever we work, wherever we live, we are there to share the gospel and to spread the gospel. That's the reason we have jobs. That's the reason we have positions in society. That's the reason we, we are businessmen or we are bankers or this or that. It's, it's for the spread of the gospel. And then what happened is, as they began to realize that, then as as they began to realize that the gospel needed to be heard in other places, they didn't they didn't have the resources and the money to send out missionaries like we would think of today. And so what they did is they just sent businessmen and, and people who were working in jobs here, sharing the gospel here, said we can do the same jobs in this country over here, this country over here. And so they go and they do their jobs there and they evangelize. They share the gospel while they're there. They share the good news. One historian said, The most important contribution of the Moravians was their emphasis that every Christian is a missionary and should witness through his daily vocation. In this, they became one of the most remarkable missionary churches in all of Christian history. That's it. All they did was believe, really believe, that every disciple was a disciple maker. That was was the secret. It was the key. It's it's the spread of the gospel in Acts. It's the spread of the gospel through Moravians. And and I'm convinced it's it's what what happens when when a people in Birmingham refuse to see themselves in the church as spectators. There are no spectators here. We are all disciple-makers. We're all living, working, breathing to bring men and women into the kingdom. That's the whole purpose for why we're on the planet. And when we realize this, oh, there's no lid, no ceiling on how we can be a part of the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, when that's our core conviction. So hence the reason why I want us to go through Acts. I want to see this in Acts. And now, so we got four weeks leading up to Easter. We got four weeks counting this Sunday, four more weeks, and then we got Easter. So in these four weeks, what I want us to do is I want us to think about together consider. Look back now. Now that we've read through 28 chapters of Acts, I want us to look back and I want us to think about disciple-making that we have seen in action. Four components of disciple-making. This is what we, when we did that series back in in 2007, we identified straight from Great Commission, four components of disciple-making that we see in Jesus' life, that he's commanding us to do. And I want us to think about over the next four weeks, how this played out in the book of Acts. First component, we going so this is going make disciples you just said we share the word disciple making involves introducing people to jesus this is a fundamental part of making disciples leading people to faith in christ to salvation in jesus if we are not leading people to faith in christ then we are we are not making disciples so this is where it starts it's not where it stops it's where disciple making starts we share the word then baptizing we show the word baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit matthew 28 19 Showing the life of Christ and identification with Christ and his body in the church. Showing what the life of Christ looks like in action. Showing the word. Third, we teach the word. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Disciple making clearly involves teaching people to obey Christ. To follow after him. Which here now I want you to see it come full circle. You lead people to Christ. See them identify with Christ and his church. And then teach them to obey Christ. What is Christ command us to do? Make disciples. So teach them to make disciples. And so make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples disciples, until everybody on the planet knows that this God is glorious. You do this in all nations. We serve the world. We don't stop till every people group on the planet has been reached with the gospel. So that's it. Straight from Matthew chapter 28. Going, baptizing, teaching in all nations. Sharing the word, showing the word, teaching the word, serving the world. This is what we all do. We all share the word and we all show the word and we all teach the word and we all serve the world and and so my my hope is that after the next four weeks in our midst that if you were to to poll members of this faith family say what does it what does it mean to make disciples that not only would be we, we'd say yeah this is what it means clearly we know what it means but this is, this is what this looks like in our lives that's so we're applying this in our, in our lives. When, th- when that's happening, then by the grace of God and the Spirit of God in us, there's, 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 no, there's no stopping the spread of the gospel through, through the church. So what we're going to do is a little different than what we normally do. Instead of taking one passage of Scripture each week over these next four weeks, we're going to look at the whole book and we're going to say, how are, they, how are they sharing the Word here? And how are they showing the word here? And how are they teaching the word here? And what does that mean for our lives? How are they serving the world? It's going to all lead to that uh, last week where we're going to think about how they were advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and we're going to consider some ways that looks for, might look for us as a, as a faith family. So, so tonight we got to share the word. And I'm already way behind time, so we got to get going. So. Don't worry, dinner is coming, but this, this is, I want to say, it's going to be secret church style, okay? We're going to go through here, we're going to fly through this, we've got to see, this is where disciple making starts, with sharing the gospel with others. Bart talked about it last week, we preach the gospel to ourselves, that overflows in preaching the gospel to others. We don't just preach the gospel to ourselves, we preach the gospel to others. So what, is, what does that look like? And this is where, okay, all right, real quick pause, uh, right, just one pause, and then we'll, then we'll start flying, but one, one pause, just one. Uh, this is, this is an area, sharing, sharing the word, sharing the gospel. It's an area where I am, uh, maybe, my, maybe my heart, best way to put it, my heart is most heavy when it, when it comes to our faith family. Like, I think there's a lot of things that, by God's grace, that we're doing well. There's things that we certainly need to work on that we're we're working on, when it comes to, like one of the things we're going to dive into right after Easter is next generation, pass the gospel on the next generation. We're diving in how we can do that, that better and more effectively as a faith family. But one of the areas where I, I think we are, we are weakest is when it comes to, to sharing the gospel with, with people right next to us. As, we, as, we, as we're doing things around the world and as we're doing other facets of disciple-making that we're going to talk about, I think one of the areas where we, where we struggle and where I struggle in my own life just to be totally vulnerable, my own schedule, is intentionally sharing the gospel with people who don't know Christ. And, and if we're not doing that, then we can talk about all day long about making disciples and this and that, but if we're not doing this, we're missing the whole point. So I want us to think together about what it means to, to share the word. There's not earth-shattering things that we're going to talk about here, but, but some very important things. And you know, this is key. There's a whole belief out there. People think that in order to share the gospel, that you need to first go through some very intensive training in how to share the gospel. You got to go through an intensive training course in order, about sharing the gospel in order to, to be able to share the gospel. And if I could just debunk that totally, it's not true. You don't, you don't have to go through intensive training course to be able to share Christ with others. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of your grandparents in this room? Raise your hand if you're a grandparent. Okay, okay. Keep your hand raised. Hi, raise your high. Okay, all right. Grandparents in this room. Okay, how many of you grandparents keep your hands raised if you talk about your grandchildren? okay. Yeah, okay, that's all. Okay, you enjoy talking about your grandchildren. Okay, keep them raised. Now, keep them raised if you have been to intensive training on how to talk about your grandchildren. (laughs) Anybody been to intensive and course seminars? No, why not? Because what is on your mind comes out of your mouth, out of the the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. Grandparents grandchildren on their heart, on their mind. and just constantly coming out. So, oh, that, that Christ would be so near, so dear, so central in our hearts, so prevalent in our minds that, that we can't hardly have a conversation without Christ speak just flowing from us. That's the goal here. Evangelism not as program or laws or rules. Evangelism is conversation on a daily basis that Christ overflows from our hearts through our mouths. This is the, this is the beauty. Uh, Poonja, okay? Poonja's a girl, that, a lady we met in India this last week. Poonja and her husband had been invited to a worship gathering at Christmas in a house church. And they came, and they didn't come back for a few weeks, and they came back. And this one morning worship gathering, Poonja and her husband come. They, they sit through the worship gathering, and at the end, in the afternoon, the, the churches, the members of the church are going to have a time, a four-hour block of time, where they're going to be talking about how they can best spread the gospel in their community, kind of strategizing. What can we do to spread the gospel? And so the pastor goes to Punja and says, you know, we, we've got this afterwards that we're going to be hanging around for, but you, you're probably not interested in that. I mean, Punja wasn't even a believer in Christ. And Punja says, well, I, I'd like to stay and, and listen. So, so Punja sits there and listens. Now, as they're talking about sharing the gospel in their community, obviously they say, well, we need to We need to know the gospel. And so so as they're talking about the gospel, Punja is overhearing and she decides to trust in Christ for salvation. She She gets saved in this strategy session. She comes to Christ. Now, Punja, after she gets saved, she actually believes she's supposed to do what they've been talking about for those four hours. And so she goes back to her home. She gathers together over 20 people. 24 to be exact. 24 friends and family members together in her house. And she shares the gospel with all of them. Seven of her friends and family come to Christ. This is one week later. Seven of her friends and family come to Christ. And then the next week, a new believers, a new group of believers starts meeting in her home. (laughs) Ha! From coming to Christ to planting a church in two weeks. Like, Could could you be a part of something like that? Why not? Same spirit, punja, same gospel. She's not ahead of us. All she knew was the gospel. That's all it took to lead people to Christ and see a church begin to form in a couple of weeks. What happens when that's taking place all across the church? That's the picture, right? So what we're seeing in the book of Acts is playing out in a context like that. God, may it play out in this context? So, so it's all we need is the, is the gospel, which, which leads to, okay, we share the word. All right, secret church, here we go. We receive the gospel of Christ. Four simple basics informing our sharing of the word, this fundamental part of disciple-making. We receive the gospel of Christ. In order to share the gospel, we've got to have the gospel. We believe, we embrace the gospel, and it's just, which is key. When you look in the book of Acts, a quarter of this book is filled with messages and speeches of apostles and other people explaining the gospel. And you survey those messages and speeches, and over and over again, you see one essential gospel coming to the forefront. Five non-negotiable components or elements of that gospel. We've talked about this before, but you see it in Acts. The character of God, you look at Peter's sermon in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Look at Paul's sermon in Pisidian Antioch in Acts chapter 13. God-natured, God-centered messages. The gospel starts with God, with the character of God, the mercy of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, the work of God, the initiative of God. Obviously, in order to share the word, in order to share the gospel, we've got to communicate who God is. If we go wrong here, we miss the gospel. So the, the character of God. Then, the sinfulness of man. Sinfulness of man. Again, you look, at, you look at Peter in Acts chapter 2. He says, you crucified Jesus. You killed the Son of God. Acts chapter 7, Stephen looks at the people and said, you're stiff-necked people. Look at Paul in Acts chapter 17. says, you're idolatrous people, worshiping all these different gods, addressing the sinfulness of man, which is obviously key. How will anyone listen to you explain how they can be saved until they know they need to be saved? Francis Schaeffer was once asked, what would you do if you met a man on a train and you had one hour to talk with him about the gospel? This is what Schaeffer replied, One hour. Schaeffer said, I would spend 45 to 50 minutes on the negative to really show him his dilemma, that he is morally dead. Then I'd take 10 to 15 minutes to preach the good news. I believe that much of our evangelistic work today is not clear simply because we are too anxious to get to the answer without having a man first realize the real cause of his sickness, which is true moral guilt, not just psychological guilt feelings in the presence of God. And we see this in a sinfulness of man. Then, of course, the sufficiency of Christ... The crux of the gospel that's being preached in Acts is Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when Peter says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Christ. He is the crucified Messiah. When Acts says that he is the Christ. It's a reference to the fact that he's the promised Messiah who would come, the one who died, was crucified for the sins of men. Not just crucified, he's the resurrected Savior. You get to First Corinthians chapter 15 and Paul recounts the gospel. He says, this is the gospel I received. Christ died for sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. Acts chapter 3 verse 15 says, Jesus is the author of life whom God raised from the dead. The gospel we, we preach, we share that Jesus died on the cross for sins. He's risen from the grave, and he is the reigning Lord. He is Lord, period. All throughout Acts, Jesus is referenced as the sovereign Lord who reigns on high. He is the judge of all men. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 says he's Lord over all heaven and earth. This is the Jesus we, we preach. When we share the gospel, we share about the character of God, the sinfulness of man, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and then the necessity of faith. It begs the question when they ask in, in Pentecost, What shall we do, Peter? Peter tells them, You've crucified the Son of God. They say, What shall we do? And Peter responds, He doesn't say invite Christ into your life or accept Jesus into your heart. He does not say bow your heads, close your eyes, and lift your hands. He says, Repent. He says, Repent. And you look throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see two words that are always mentioned when it comes to response to the gospel repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent, turn from sin. Five different times in the book of Acts, we we'll see repent. And that, that's how they respond to the gospel. And then you, you see believe, trust in Christ. Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Philippian jailer. Jailer, what must I do to be saved? Peter respond, Paul responds, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then there's two times, Acts chapter 20, verse 21, and Acts chapter 26, verse 20, when repent and believe are both mentioned together. This is the, this is the, the proper biblical response to this gospel. Repent and believe, turn from sin, trust in Christ. So when, when you and I share the gospel, we're not just sharing for information. We're not just sharing information. We're extending an invitation. We're inviting people, urging people, encouraging people. Will you, will you turn from sin? Will you trust in Christ as Savior and, and Lord? And everyone's eternity is dependent on how they respond, which leads to the last urgency of eternity. Preachers in the book of Acts calling people to be saved from destruction, from a wicked and rebellious generation. Oh, Brothers and sisters, we we share the gospel because people's eternity is dependent on on hearing it and responding to it. There's there's nothing more important that we could do. Nothing. So so pause. You just look at that gospel. This message is being proclaimed in the first century. You think about it. Disciples going around the first century saying this convicted criminal was crucified. On a cross, he is the eternal God and Savior and judge of your life. One, one historian, one scholar said, how could learned and sophisticated people show anything but disdain for that message? And it's, it's true. Many, many people did respond in that way. And mark it down. You share this gospel. Many people will respond to you in that way with disdain for that message. To say, 2,000 years ago, there was a man, God in the flesh, who died on the cross for your sins he rose from the grave he ascended into heaven and one day you will stand before him as judge so repent of all your sin and turn and trust in him submit your life to him many people will scoff but and then this is where this is where many many Christians say okay well then how can i change this message to make it more palatable for people how can I adjust it so that people, more people will respond? Brothers and sisters, we, we have no need to adjust this message. For 2,000 years, this gospel has been the power of God for salvation. This gospel was the power of God for your salvation. Praise God, no one made it more palatable for you. You trusted in a real gospel, a real Savior, from real wrath and real salvation. And, and so, so share this gospel. Proclaim this gospel and see what happens this Poonja's story she had the gospel she shares the gospel yeah okay seven people responded 17 didn't but but trust in christ which leads to second part we possess the spirit of christ this is what the book of acts is all about right some have called this the acts of the holy spirit holy spirit mentioned 50 times in this book 50 times more than any other book in the bible What's happening here is people are full of the Spirit. They're being filled with the Spirit. They're being empowered by the Spirit. They're being gifted by the Spirit. Spirit's equipping them for ministry. The Spirit is advancing the gospel. Now that doesn't mean we just sit back, passive, and do nothing. Follow this. This is where this is where it gets really good. Our responsibility in evangelism, we speak with our mouths. All, right? All throughout this book, people are speaking to crowds, to individuals. The gospel doesn't advance without somebody saying something. In order to share the word, we got to speak the word. Disciple-making at the core, at the start, is a spoken activity. We speak the gospel with our mouths, and the beauty is God's sovereignty and evangelism, He opens their hearts. You speak this gospel, and there's supernatural power. There's nothing in the book of Acts that is natural. Everything here is supernatural. You speak this gospel, it's Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Paul is speaking by Riverside. And as he speaks the gospel, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond. It's Acts chapter 13, verse 48. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added to their number. He added God's sovereignty over the whole picture. Doesn't mean we're sitting back doing nothing. No, we're speaking. But as we're speaking, the Spirit is working. There's okay, another, another pastor, Rajesh, disheartened pastor in northern India. Disheartened pastor, ready to, to hang it up, give up, ready to quit. And he goes to this, this training for pastors that we've helped, helped make possible. And in this training, they're talking about making disciples and multiplying churches. And the challenge of this training is for, for each one of these pastors to find a village where there is no church. And kind of in the vein of, of, of Luke chapter 10, go in looking for a man of peace, a person of peace. And so, so the challenge is for them to go into a village and the first person they see to say, I come in the name of Jesus Christ, and I want to pray for the homes in this community, in this village. I want to pray to the one true God on behalf of these homes. That's what they challenged Rajesh and other pastors to do. And Rajesh he doesn't buy it. He, he says, this, it's not going to work. Just don't go into a village and do that. But he said, at, at the end of him, his rope, ready to quit. Why not Why not try? And so he goes into a village, village with no church. He walks in. First person that comes up to him, he says, pulls out this line. He says, I am here in the name of Jesus. And before he get any further, the guy stops him and says, Jesus, I've been thinking about him. And Rajesh says, You have? And he says, Yes, will you come to my home? So Rajesh says, Yes. And so Rajesh comes to the guy's home and shares the gospel with him. The man responds, trusts in Christ for salvation, calls his friends and family, says, You need to hear about this. And church is birthed in this man's home. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah! Like all you did, all you did was share, share the name of Jesus, and the Spirit of God opened hearts there, and church was started. What did, what did Rajesh do? He just said, Jesus. The gospel and the spirit does the work. Could it be that the same spirit who is working in that village in advance of Rajesh is the same spirit who's working in the lives of people that you work with and you live around? We don't have to start something here. Spirit of God is working all over Birmingham. We just, we just go speak, speak the gospel. Just talk about Jesus and see what happens. Why can't the same thing happen? Acts, India, Birmingham. We possess the spirit of Christ. We reflect the character of Christ. All right, got to move on. Reflect the character of Christ. Um, uh, as I was walking through Acts, I- I'll make this. I'll make this quick. But as I was, <laughs> you laugh. You're like, no, you won't. Yes, I will. I will. I will. I will. Well, okay. I'm looking through Acts, and I'm saying, how are they sharing the word? I couldn't help but, but stop. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead, struck down by God for their deception. In verse 11 in Acts chapter 5, it says the whole, whole church was, was afraid. And two verses later, it says people outside the church were afraid. But then listen, Acts chapter 5, verse 14 says, more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord more than ever. Believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. And we see, I think we're seeing here, a direct relationship between the purity of the church and the growth of the church. Sanctity of the people and the spread of the gospel. And I am I'm reminded of this anytime I go overseas, especially into Eastern contexts. Was reminded of it this last time. There are many people in Eastern contexts who view Christianity as a Western religion. A religion of Westerners. And they equate associate the West with loose living immorality. And as a result, there are many people who view Christianity through that lens. Especially in some at least outwardly conservative moral places like Hindu any Hindu places, Muslim places that see looseness in the West and say, well, we don't want a part of it, that's, that's Christianity. I, I just can't help but think about Romans chapter 2 when Paul says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of the Jews. And the name of Christ is, is being blasphemed among, among many nations because of professing Christians. And this is not just outside of us. Brothers and sisters, this is inside of us. Flee immorality and pursue holiness, purity in your life, in your marriage, your home, and your private life, your public life. F- flee immorality, pursue holiness. Yes, for the sake of ourselves, it's good to be holy, God has given us these commands, purity and holiness for our good. It is good to be like Christ. But not just for the sake of our, ourselves. Pursue holiness and flee morality for the sake of others. So that they will look at us and take note that we have been with Jesus. I want us to feel, in a sense, feel this responsibility. Our holiness, our growth in Christ will have a direct Effect on our witness for Christ and our ability to lead others to Christ. And there's a sense in which if we compromise as bearers of the name of Christ, if we compromise and give in to immorality, if we are pornography watching church, if we're a gossip-speaking church, if immorality fills our lives, then We are undercutting our ability to share the gospel with people whose eternity is dependent on hearing the gospel and seeing the gospel clearly in us. Turn the computer off for your own sake and for the sake of people who need to see the gospel in you. People whose eternity is dependent on seeing the gospel in you so that when they see it in you, they'll listen to it from you. And your marriage is pursue Christ and honor Christ. If Christ is not evident in our marriages, then what, what gospel are we speaking? That's the whole design of marriage, to show Christ in the church. So, so let's reflect the character of Christ. So they'll take note. We've been with Jesus. They'll hear. They'll listen. When we do these things, we receive the gospel. We possess the Spirit. When we reflect the character of Christ, we will advance the kingdom of Christ. That's what the whole book's about. You look at the bookends of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 starts with Jesus talking about things concerning the kingdom. And, and then Acts chapter, Acts chapter 28 talks about Paul in the middle of Rome preaching the kingdom. And, and what the whole picture is about is a kingdom that is advancing. I want, I want to be careful real quick, just to, just to go back to reflecting the character of Christ. I want to be careful not to put any kind of unsustainable burden upon you, even encouraging you to purity and holiness. And, and the, the, the reality that in a sense, people's lives for eternity are based on seeing the gospel in us. Know this, Christ has taken responsibility for our holiness. He will make us pure and he will enable us to flee immorality. He will make this a reality in us. So abide in him, rest in him, let him do that in us. And in the process, display the gospel through us. So just want to go back to that. Advance in the kingdom of Christ. Evangelism is a spiritual ministry. We've talked about this. Sharing the word, directed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. It's a spiritual ministry with physical results. Ah, I wish we had time to look at all this. We, just, we don't have time to read through it, but just, just hear this. Physical results. Here's what I mean by that. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, 120 people. 120 people in Acts chapter 1. By the end of Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people. 3,000 plus. And the Lord adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Acts chapter 4, you're up to 5,000. Acts chapter 5, many more were added to their number. Acts chapter 6, the number of disciples increased. Listen to the superlatives that Luke uses. The number of disciples increased rapidly. Chapter 9 verse 31, it was multiplying. Chapter 11 verse 21, a great number of people believed. Chapter 11 verse 24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Chapter 14 verse 1, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. In chapter 14 verse 21, a large number of disciples were won over to Christ. Chapter 16 verse Verse uh, 5 says the church grew daily in numbers. A large number of Greeks came to Christ in Acts chapter 17. Chapter 19, verse 26, large numbers of people. This is, this is the picture Luke has just shown us all along the way. Like, m- masses, numbers, numbers, numbers of people. Not just numbers for the sake of numbers. numbers not just to report. This, no, these are souls that are being saved for all of eternity as the gospel is going forward spiritual ministry with physical results. And oh, to talk to pastors in India. We'll have to talk about it more later, but oh, one pastor of church, church, one church is now multiplied into 60 different churches. Another church multiplied into 115 different churches. One church in 115. It's not just the book of Acts. It's happened here in Acts, great numbers, church multiplying. It's also happened in India, and I'm jealous to see it happen here. Are we jealous to see that happen here? Press in and praying and work. By the power of the Spirit of God, as the church moves, the church, all the people in the church, not just select ones, every disciple, every disciple, all of us, as the church, the whole church moves, the gospel multiplies. It spreads. It spreads. Coleman said, the good news of salvation must be heralded to the ends of the earth. Jesus is Lord. He reigns on high and is coming again in majesty and power. Just the thought makes the heart almost miss a beat in wonder. We may not amount to much, but we have a great Savior and His kingdom is forever. So here's a closing challenge. Leave your notes open for just a minute. Closing challenge. One of the things that almost all the house churches we worked with in India, we're around in India this last week, one of the things they do is as soon as somebody comes to Christ, this is what Punja is doing. As soon as they come to Christ, they immediately make a list of all the people they know who don't know Christ. And they identify the people on that list, a few people who, who they can most easily, accessibly share the gospel with. In some contexts where there is persecution, they identify the three to five people who are least likely to kill them if they share the gospel with them. So you've got a little bit of space at the bottom of your, your notes there. What I want to invite you to do I want to invite you as we close out. It it would make no sense for us to to look at this and then not walk away thinking about how we're going to do the word here. I want you to to think about and write down three, four, five people that you know who don't know Christ. Knowing that the sovereign God has ordained your relationships with those people. That he has put you in relationship with those people for a reason. I want, to, I want to invite you to, to write their names down and then right now to begin praying that God would give an opportunity this week to share the gospel, to speak the gospel to, to at least one of those, those people. Now, now as, as followers of Christ are thinking about that, I know that there's, there's some people in this room tonight who may not be followers of Christ. Maybe, maybe you're like Punja. Maybe, maybe you're here and here's talking about sharing the word and, and tonight you're saying, I, I need the gospel. I need to trust Christ for salvation, for my own sins. I would, I would encourage you to do that, urge you to do that, just as Punja did right here. And Some of you, maybe you're, maybe you're not ready for that. You're not a follower of Christ, not ready for that. And you might even be a little put off by a picture of, okay, write down some names. Like, are, you, are you making target lists all across the room? Well, I want you to look at it this way yeah and I know, I know you you may not be a believer in Christ at this moment, but but assume for a second that this this is true assume for for a second that that everyone everyone needs Christ to save them from their sins, and if they don 't believe in Christ that they will go to an eternity in hell so just assume may not believe that at this point, but just assume that was true if that was true wouldn 't Wouldn't you want some people being intentional about sharing that good news with you? The good news of what Christ has done.
0: Your inbox is filled with bad news every day. War, poverty, persecution. Across the world, pain comes in many forms. And in places like Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria, and North Korea, bad news isn't just on social media or TV. It's on the streets. It's breaking up homes. Is attacking churches. But God is at work. Urgent fuels the work of indigenous believers bringing the good news to people in desperate need. And the work has already begun. Good news is on the way and you can be a part of it. Give today at urgentneeds.org. Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.